You are listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Diabetes Discourse, sponsored by Novo Nordisk, a world leader in diabetes care. Here's your host, Dr. Farad Zengana, Medical Director of the Endocrine Diabetes and Osteoporosis Clinic, EDOC, in Sterling, Virginia. Dr. Zangana also serves on the Board of Directors of the American Association of Clinical Endocrinologists, AACE. I'm Dr. Farhad Zangana, your host, and joining me today is Dr. Paresh Dandona, MD-PhD, Distinguished Professor and Chief of Endocrinology in the Department of Medicine at the University of Buffalo. His specialty and research focus are endocrinology, diabetes, and metabolism. He is also the founder and the medical director of the Diabetes Endocrinology Center of Western New York. Dr. Dandono is well-published and actively in research in the field of diabetes. I was going to talk to you today about the anti-inflammatory and anti-atherogenic impact of insulin, and I think maybe first we'll ask you to give us some background on how did this whole concept of insulin and the cardiac muscle came about. So uh, until late 90s and into the early 2000s even, it used to be believed that insulin is an atherogenic hormone. And this was based on the fact that fasting hyperinsulinemia is associated with long-term adverse cardiovascular effects in terms of myocardial infarction and stroke. And this particular epidemiological uh, observation had been observed in several observational studies, some of them prospectively carried out. However, As a clinician, I had never really observed any adverse effects of insulin as such, and I was intrigued by this concept and slightly offended by it. And when the technology for testing inflammation at a cellular and molecular level was developed in my lab in late 90s, we then embarked to ask the question whether insulin could exert an anti-inflammatory effect. And the answer that came out was, you know, absolutely so. And all studies since then have largely confirmed it in human in vivo. So let me just briefly state what we found. So a low-dose infusion of insulin at two units an hour, accompanied by five grams of glucose infused over a period of one hour to maintain euglycemia, gives you a suppression of free radical generation by circulating glucosides, suppression of the key pro-inflammatory transcription factor called nuclear factor kappa B or NF-kappa B, and a whole lot of cytokines which are triggered by the activation of NF-kappa B. So by so doing, we then established that in the human, by giving insulin in intravenously over a very short period of time, you actually established an anti-inflammatory effect. And this observation has been sort of... Uh, Uh, confirmed by others. Now, next issue is that of cardioprotection. It it has been nearly 50 years since the first observations on the possible protective effect of insulin were shown uh, by Mexican workers to begin with uh, when it was given intravenously in patients with acute myocardial infarction. But these studies were small. The the basic... uh, algorithms for giving insulin were not standardized, and so there's always been a problem about these observations uh, 
circulation for the first time in 2004, showing that not only was there an anti-inflammatory effect and a pro-fibrinolytic effect, there was, in addition, a reduction in the size of the infarct. Now, if I can just jump in, the question I have is, so these are in the uh, setting of an event. So just kind of go to an offshoot and come back. In the setting of diabetes management in an outpatient setting, uh, reduction of A1C, we don't have too much data on macrovascular except for if you look at EDIC, which is the second half of DCCT, or look at the UKPDS legacy effect also in the second decade. So many of these folks were on insulin. So if insulin is cardioprotective, then how come it's so hard to look for its signature, if you will, on on the impact that it will have on macrovascular complications? Is it difficult to prove that, or can you uh, help us clarify that, if possible? Thank you for asking that question. I think that's a very important conceptual point. And what I have described till now for you in our work is the use of insulin acutely over a period of 48 hours maximum in the setting of acute myocardial infarction. And these are the regimes that have been followed by others which have sort of confirmed similar effects. This observation does not pertain to long-term use of insulin when it is given subcutaneously. In fact, there are no real data to convincingly show that the use of insulin as a subcutaneous agent, as we do it day-to-day in the treatment of diabetes, either has profound anti-inflammatory effects beyond what you would expect from reduction of blood glucose concentrations, or that it would have an anti-atherogenic effect. And this is, in fact, finally been put to rest with the origin study that was published recently in NEJM and presented at the ADA earlier this year, showing very nicely that in thousands of patients in whom glargine was given over a period of several years, there was no decrease in cardiovascular events. But equally important is the point that there was no change and no increase either. So basically what that study established was that insulin is not harmful. And this old adage that we were living with for the last 25 years, that insulin is somehow atherogenic, is sort of thrown out of the window. Got it. Um, in case you're just tuning in, you're listening to Diabetes Discourse on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Farhad Zangane, and I'm speaking with Dr. Paresh Dandona about insulin, anti-inflammatory effects of insulin, and uh, cardiovascular issues. So very interesting. Now, um, going back to the acute uh, impact of insulin. Uh, so insulin acutely may be good for the injured heart. Is that in the setting of diabetes or mild hyperglycemia, or would anyone in that situation benefit from this process? Again, thank you very much for that, uh, asking for that clarification, because that's extremely important. All these studies that I've been talking about, including our own, were carried out in the entire acutely presenting population with acute myocardial infarction. It is not exclusive to diabetes. Having said that, the other very important data that have emerged over the last several years, especially over the last decade, is that hyperglycemia, often just acute hyperglycemia, in the setting, and what we've called till now 
stress hypoglycemia in the setting of acute myocardial infarction is acutely damaging. And this is where the crunch is, because the threshold concentration for severely, rapidly increasing rates of mortality and morbidity following acute myocardial infarction start at as ordinary a glucose concentration as 140 milligrams per deciliter, or if you want to think in other terms, around 8 millimoles per, uh, per, per liter. And this is an extremely important uh, threshold because beyond this, there is a logarithmic rise in morbidity and mortality. So studies have largely centered around this number, and in future, again, this is the number that will come handy when we try to look at future studies with trials with insulin, because what we try to do then in these studies is that starting off with a high rate above 140, try to bring the blood glucose concentrations to below 140 to be on the safe side, below 130, and then we begin to see dynamic changes in terms of the rates of mortality and morbidity. And in all of these studies where two units or more of insulin per hour have been administered in this uh, situation where the blood glucose levels are greater than 140 and are brought down to below 140, you see striking and significant reduction in outcomes. So diabetes or high blood sugar is a heartbreaker, but definitely a heartbreaker during the acute setting. Is that, uh, is that good to um, assume? That's a very nice statement, but important it is, you know, for even those of us who are endocrinologists and diabetologists, that, you know, you and I, in day-to-day treatment for diabetes, will consider the figure of 140 a good one. But in the setting of acute myocardial infarction and stroke also, we've done a published study on stroke last year, and again, magically around the threshold of 140, suddenly morbidity and mortality take off. Got it, got it. Can you talk with us now, um, let's say you have restenosis, uh, you have a revascularization, and of course one of the things in revascularization is concerns for restenosis. Now, does insulin and a euglycemic state after an event also, um, has that been looked at to see what the impact is? Yes, and it has very recently been published in the Journal of Clinical Endocrinology and Metabolism, and it's the group from Naples in Italy who did this beautiful study where they carried out the angioplasty and the insertion of the stent and thereafter started infusing insulin to maintain normal glycemia. And when they did that, they demonstrated quite convincingly that the rate of restenosis was profoundly diminished following the infusion uh, of insulin and the reduction of hypoglycemia. So again, not only do you have cardioprotection in the context of infusion during the process of myocardial infarction, you also have protection of your angioplasty and stent procedure months later. They, they looked at it six months later, and they found that the rates of restenosis were markedly diminished. Now, one of the uh, problems with insulin can be that if it is inappropriately um, on board, too much of it or um, inappropriate rendezvous with the glucose because of the timing, you will run into a concept of low blood sugar or hypoglycemia. Now, how does that uh, play a role in this, and does that offset some of the benefits that we just discussed here? 
So hypoglycemia is an important issue because, as has been demonstrated recently by a couple of groups, or no, actually three groups at least, one actually from Iran, Farhan, <laughs> you know, the, the, the Farhan rather, uh, one from Iran showing beautifully that uh, hypoglycemia will induce a pro-inflammatory and a pro-thrombotic state. So that's the last thing you want in that kind of context. But there are good enough regimes, and if actually monitoring of glucose is carried out at the rate of, you know, once in two hours, as we've shown in our work, you don't get hypoglycemia because you counter any trends towards downward movement of glucose. And if you can do that, then you've got a safe procedure. But on the other hand, in spite of having very strict regimes, what I have reviewed in the literature and the work is published, that if you do get hypoglycemia, often it is in the context of not so well carried out protocols. You have strict protocols, but they're not adhered to, and then you dip into hypoglycemia. And once you dip into hypoglycemia, you're asking for trouble, and therefore, in that sense, it's a two-edged sword, but it's not too difficult to prevent hypoglycemia. So immaculate uh, control of glucose with insulin in the acute setting of a cardiovascular event is, uh, is pretty much what we are recommending here. Absolutely. The arrival of CGM, continuous glucose monitoring, it should become a simpler procedure altogether. And I think future studies will have to be done on that basis. Now, can you uh, uh, shed some light uh, for our listeners about uh, insulin resistance? And, you know, people with type 2 diabetes, they have impaired insulin action, and they may have a lot of endogenous insulin that just doesn't work, kind of like Arbitros, water, water, but not a drop to drink. How does that play a role? And of course, if you have resistance to the actions of insulin, if you're infusing this insulin, how, do, how does, I mean, is it going to work? Now, the way we demonstrated initially to begin with the anti-inflammatory effect of insulin was to deliberately choose insulin-resistant patients. They were obese. That's how the discovery was made. So they were all hyperinsulinemic. And yet, when you infuse insulin at the rate of two units an hour and doubled or tripled the plasma insulin concentrations, you got these profound anti-inflammatory and anti-thrombotic and pro-fibrinolytic effects. And then we moved on to another study where we did it in type 2 diabetics, again, an insulin-resistant group. And then again, when you look at the acute myocardial infarction studies, who is not insulin resistance then? Most of these patients have background metabolic syndrome, and then on top of that, they have uh, steroidogenesis and uh, acute stress hyperglycemia. So each one of them has insulin resistance, and in, in, even in that setting, the infusion of uh, insulin at low dose has been shown by us and others to have, an, have a profound anti-inflammatory and uh, pro-fibrinolytic effect, and therefore, in consequence, a beneficial outcome effect. Dr. Dandona, we have run out of time. Thank you so much for your time today. I could be asking you many, many more questions, so hope we will chat again on a different program. Certainly. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Diabetes Discourse, sponsored by Novo Nordisk, a world leader in diabetes care. To learn more about diabetes and the role of GLP-1, visit novomedlink.com forward slash DIA. For more details on the interviews and conversations in this week's show, or to download this segment, go to reachmd.com forward slash diabetes.